Section 19 of Three Times and Out by Nellie McClung. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 21 Travelers of the Night. The country we traveled over in the first hours of the night was poor and evidently wasteland, for we saw no cultivation until near morning, when we crossed through a heavy oat field, soaking wet with the night's rain. When we came out, we were as wet as if we had fallen into the ocean. We took some of the oats with us, to nibble at as we went along. We came to a wide stream, with wooded banks, which looked deep and dangerous. So we made a pack of our clothes, and cautiously descended into it, expecting to have to swim over. However, we found we could easily wade it, for we had made our crossing at a ford. On the other side we found ourselves stumbling over a turnip field, and very gladly helped ourselves, and carried away two of them for provisions for the next day. When morning came we took cover in a thin wood. On the other attempts we had been able to carry something to eat, and an extra pair of socks. This time we had nothing but what we had on. I had selected from the stockings I had a pair knit by Miss Edna McKay of Vancouver, which were the first pair she had knit, but were very fine and well made. We removed our socks the first thing each morning, and rubbed our feet, and put the socks in a tree to dry, being careful not to have them so high they would be seen. We were trying to take every precaution this time. The first day we were near some farm buildings, and as we lay in the woods, pretty chilly and wet, we could hear the hens scolding and cackling. Cackling hens always bring me back to the pleasant days of childhood, and I was just enjoying a real heartsome visit to the old home at Delmer, and was chasing Willie Fuster around a straw stack, when the farmer's dog, an interfering, vicious-looking brute, came peering through the woods and gave us heart spasms, barking at us for a few minutes but we did not move a muscle, and, seeing that he couldn't start a row with us, he went away, muttering to himself about suspicious characters being around. A woman passed through the wood, too, going over to one of the neighbors, I think to borrow something, for she carried a plate, but she did not see us, as we lay low in the scrub. We certainly found plenty of unsettled country to travel through in the first days of our journey, for we seemed to go through one marsh after another, covered with coarse, long hay, which would have been cut, no doubt, but for the soft bottoms which make it impossible to use a mower. To drain this land would furnish more work for the Russian prisoners. In one place we suddenly stepped down a couple of feet into a bog filled with water, but with grass on the top. We discovered that it was a place from which the peat had been removed, and it was the only sign of human activity that we saw all night. On the evening of August 23rd, when we started out after a fairly good day in a spruce thicket, we could see the lights of Bremen reflected in the sky. The lights of a city, with its homes, its stores, its eating places, its baths, should be a welcome sight to wayfaring men who have been living on oats and turnips, but not for us, to whom a city meant only capture. Chapter 22
so when we noticed the rosy glow in the southern sky, we steered our course farther west, but still taking care to avoid the city, which we intended to pass on the south and east side. Our troubles were many that night. A good-sized river got in our way and had to be crossed. There was no bridge in sight, and we had determined to waste no time looking for one. So we undressed on the marshy bank and made bundles of our clothes, pinning our tunics about everything with the safety pins which we carried. We also used the cord around the bundles. Ted was doubtful about swimming and carrying his clothes, so I said I would try it first with mine. I went down through the coarse grass, which was harsh and prickly to my feet, and full of nettles or something which stung me at every step, and was glad to reach the open water. The moon was in the last quarter, and clouded over, so the night was of the blackest. I made the shore without much trouble, and threw my bundle on a grassy bank. I called over to Ted that the going was fine, and that I would come back for his clothes. At that he started in to meet me, swimming on his back and holding his clothes with both hands, using only his feet. But when he got into the current it turned him downstream. I swam toward him as fast as I could, but by the time I reached him he had lost the grip of his clothes, and when I got them they were wet through. As we were nearer to the bank from which we had started, we went back to it, for we were both pretty well blown. However, in a few minutes we were able to strike out again and reach the other bank in safety. Poor Ted was very cold and miserable, but put on his soaking garments without a word, and our journey continued. This was another ditch country, ditches both wide and deep, and many of them treacherous things, for their sides were steep and hard to climb. The darkness made it doubly hard, and sometimes we were pretty well frightened as we let ourselves down a greasy clay bank into the muddy water. Later on we found some corduroy bridges that the haymakers had put over the ditches. All night we had not found anything to eat, and when we arrived at a wood near morning we decided to stay, for we could see we were coming into a settlement, and the German farmers rise early in harvest time. So, hungry, muddy, wet, and tired, we lay down in the wood and spent a long, uncomfortable day. My watch stopped that day and never went again. Edward's watch was a better one, and although it stopped when it got wet, it went again as soon as it had dried out. That day we had not a mouthful of anything but we comforted ourselves with the thought that in this settled country there would be cows, and unless the farmer sat up all night watching them, we promised ourselves a treat the next night. At nightfall we stole out and began again to get over the distance that separated us from freedom. The country was drier and more settled, but the cows we saw were all in farmyards, and we were afraid to risk going near them. About midnight we almost stumbled over a herd of them, and a fine old white face arose at our request and let us milk her. Ted stood at her head and spoke kind words to her and rubbed her nose, 
while I filled our tin again and again. She was a Holstein, I think, though we could not see if she was black or red. It was so dark we could only see the white markings. We were sorry to leave her. She was another of the bright spots in my memory of Germany. We crossed a railroad, a double-tracked one with rock ballast, which my map showed to be a line which runs to Bremen, and a little later we came to the Weser. This river brought up pleasant recollections of the Pied Piper of Hamlin, who drowned the rats in the Weser by the magic of his pipe. But there was no romance in it as we came upon it in a gray and misty dawn. It was only another barrier to our freedom. There were bunches of willows on the water's edge, and some fine beeches, whose leaves were slightly tinged with yellow, farther back. We selected a close bunch of willows for our hiding place, and after spending a short time looking for a boat, we gave up the quest and took cover. We were feeling well, and were in a cheerful mood, no doubt the result of our pleasant meeting with the Holstein and when we saw some straw in a field not far from the willows, we went over and got two armfuls of it, and made beds for ourselves. Fresh, clean straw, when dry, makes a good bed, and no Ostermoor mattress was ever more comfortable. We burrowed into it like moles, and although it rained, we had a good day. Waking up in the afternoon, we decided on a general clean-up, and, dipping water from the vaser in a rusty tin pail without a handle, we washed our faces, cleaned our teeth, shaved, and combed our hair. My socks were in fine shape, but Ted's began to show signs of dissolution. The heels were gone, and the toe of one was broken and going. His feet were sore and blistered, and he sat long looking at the perfidious socks which had failed him so soon. Then he had a plan. He would make himself a pair out of the sleeves of his undershirt. To me was given the delicate task of cutting off the sleeves with a rather dull knife, which I managed to do with some difficulty, and with a thorn for a needle and wool from the socks for thread, a pair of socks were constructed. The thorn was too soft and doubled back, so Ted sharpened a piece of hard wood, and with it made the holes for the yarn. From our shelter in the willows we could see a ferry-boat carrying people across the river, and sometimes people passed along the sandy shore quite near to us, but the willows were thick, and we were not discovered. Two big freight-steamers also passed by us. That night we went cautiously down the bank looking for a boat. We could swim the river, but a boat would suit us better, for the night was chilly and dark. Before we had gone far we found one tied in the rushes, but the oars were locked to the bottom of the boat, and we had to cut them loose with our penknives, which took quite a while, for the wood was hard. When we got across the vaser we found plenty of cows. Some of them were fickle jades who would let us almost touch them, and would then sniff at us in disapproval and leave us. Others would not consider our case for a moment. They were not going to run any danger of giving aid and comfort to the enemy. 
but one good old one with a crooked horn took pity on us, and again we felt better. The fields were divided by hedges, made of a closely-leafed green shrub, somewhat resembling, in the leaf, our buckthorn. It was very thick and very green, and we crawled into one of these on the morning of the fourth day, glad of such good shelter. However, there was no room to move or stand up. The hedge being low made it necessary to lie down all day. Still, we were well satisfied with the hot milk, and slept most of the day. Waking up suddenly, I heard a whistle, and without moving could see a man's legs coming toward us. Then a dog, white with black markings, darted past him, and to my horror stood not six feet from me. We stopped breathing. We shut our eyes for fear we might wink. We effaced ourselves. We ceased to be. I mean, we wished we could. The dog came nearer. I could hear his soft footfalls. I knew the brute was stepping high, as they do when they see something. I knew his tail was going straight out behind. He was pointing. The man walked by, whistling. But the dog stayed. Then I heard the man call him, insisting that he come, making remarks about his lack of sense. It sounded like, Come here, you fool. The dog, with a yelp of disapproval, did as he was told, but I could hear him barking as he ran along, in a hurt tone. His professional pride had been touched. That afternoon, as we lay in the hedge, we saw a company of school-children running toward us. I think it was the afternoon recess, and they came running and shouting straight for the hedge. I could only see their feet from where I lay, but it seemed to me that there were a large number. They stopped in the field on the right of where we lay, and played some game. I was too excited to notice what it was. Sometimes it brought them close to the hedge, and then they ran away again. It may have been a ball game. We were cold and hot by turns, watching the feet that advanced and receded, and were coming at us again, racing this time as if to see who would reach the hedge first, when a sudden downpour of rain came on, and they ran back. We heard the voices growing fainter in the distance, and registered a vow that if we got out of this place alive, we would not trust in a hedge again. Dogs and children seemed to be our greatest dangers. When we began our journey that night, we crossed a light railway, one of those which on the map was indicated with light lines, and which, sure enough, had only dirt ballast. Ahead of us was another railway track with lights, which we determined to leave alone. The lights of the two towns, Delmenhorst and Gunderksee, shone against the western sky, and we kept to the south to avoid them. The going was difficult on account of the settlement, and we had to be watching all the time for travelers. There were a lot of people out that night who might better have been at home and in bed. We were glad to take refuge before daylight in an extensive wood. 
we had a few turnips which we ate. The day was spent as usual trying to dry our socks and get our feet in shape for the night, but the rain came down hard, and when we started out at dusk we were soaking wet. We at once got into a forest, a great dark quiet forest, where fugitives could hide as long as they liked, but which furnished no food of any kind. In the small clearings we came upon herds of cattle, but they were all young, with not a cow among them. This was one of the planted forests of Germany, where a sapling is put in when a big tree is taken out to conserve the timber supply. No one would know that it had been touched by man except for the roads which ran through it. There was no waste wood, there were no stumps, no hacked trees, no evidences of fire, such as I have often seen in our forests in British Columbia. The Germans know how to conserve their resources. There was no wind or stars, and there were so many roads crossing and dividing that it was hard for us to keep our direction. Toward morning it began to rain, and soon the wet bushes, as well as the falling rain, had us wet through. We stopped at last to wait for daylight, for the forest was so dense we believed we could travel by day with safety. We lit our pipes in the usual way to conserve our matches. One match would light both when we followed this order. The lighted one was inverted over the unlighted one. Into the lighted one Ted blew, while I drew in my breath from the unlighted one. This morning something went wrong. Either the tobacco was soggy or I swallowed nicotine, for in a few minutes I had all the symptoms of poisoning. I wanted to lie down, but the ground was too wet. So I leaned against a tree and was very sorry for myself. Ted felt much the same as I did. Then we tried to light a fire. We were so cold and wet, and besides we had a few potatoes, carried from a garden we passed the night before, which we thought we could roast. Hunger and discomfort were making us bold. Our matches would not light the damp wood, and we could find no other. We chewed a few oats, and were very downhearted. It looked as if a lack of food would defeat us this time. We had so far come safely, but at great expense of energy and time. We had avoided traveled roads, bridges, houses, taking the smallest possible risk, but with a great expense of energy. Our journey had been hard, toilsome, and slow. We were failing from lack of food. Our clothes hung in folds on us, and we were beginning to feel weak. The thought of swimming the Ems made us shudder. One thing seemed clear. We must get food, even if to get it imposed a risk. There was no use in starving to death. The recklessness of the slum cat was coming to us. The weather had no mercy that day, for a cold, gray, driving rain came down as we leaned against a tree. Two battered hulks of men, with very little left to us now but the desire to be free. If this were a book of fiction, 
it would be easy to lighten and vary the narrative here and there with tales of sudden attacks and hair's-breadth escapes. But it is not a fancy story. It is a plain tale of two men's struggle with darkness, cold, and hunger in a land of enemies. It may sound monotonous to the reader at times, but I assure you, we never, for one minute, got accustomed to the pangs of hunger, the beat of the rain, or the ache of our tired legs, and the gripping, choking fear that through some mishap we might be captured. The country was so full of bogs and marshes that we had to stick to the road that night, but we met no person, and had the good fortune to run into a herd of cows, and drank all the milk we could hold. Unfortunately, we had nothing in which to carry milk, so had to drink all we could, and go on, in the hope of meeting more cows. While we were helping ourselves, the storm, which had been threatening all night, came on in great fury, and the lightning seemed to tear the sky apart. We took refuge in an old cow-shed, which saved us from the worst of it. That morning we hid in a clump of evergreens, thick enough to make a good shelter, but too short for comfort, for we could not stand up. Ted was having a bad time with his feet, for his improvised socks did not work well. They twisted and knotted and gave him great discomfort. This day he removed his undershirt, which was of wool, and, cutting it into strips five or six inches wide, wound them round and round his feet, and then put his boots on. He had more comfort after that, but as the weather was cold, the loss of his shirt was a serious one. That night we came to a river, which we knew to be the hunter, and looked about for a means of crossing it. We knew enough to keep away from bridges, but a boat would have looked good to us. However, there did not seem to be any boat, and we decided to swim it without loss of time, for this was a settled district, and therefore not a good place to hesitate. On account of our last experience in crossing a river, we knew a raft to carry our clothes on would keep them dry and make it easier for us. So, failing to find any stuff with which to make a raft, we thought of a gate we had passed a short time back. It was a home-made affair, made of a big log on the top, whose heavy root balanced the gate on the post on which it swung. We went back, found it, lifted it off, and although it was a heavy carry, we got it to the river, and, making two bundles of our clothes, floated them over on it. I swam ahead, pushing it with one hand, while Ted shoved from behind. Our clothes were kept dry, and we dragged the gate up on the bank. We hoped the farmer found it, and also hoped he thought it was an early Halloween joke. That day, August 31st, we took refuge in the broom, which was still showing its yellow blossom, and, as the sun came out occasionally, we lit our pipes with Ted's sunglass. The sun and wind dried our tobacco and our socks, and we started off that night feeling rather better. It was a fine night for our purpose, 
for there was considerable wind, and we kept going all night, mostly on the roads. At daylight we took refuge in an open wood. The day was cloudy and chilly, and we found it long. At night we had not gone far when we found three cows in a small field. We used all our blandishments on them, but the lanky one with straight horns was unapproachable and aloof in her manner, and would not let us near her. One of the others was quiet enough, but was nearly dry. The third one was the best, and we filled and drank, and filled and drank, until her supply was exhausted too. On account of the field being near the house, we were careful not to let the stream of milk make a sound in the empty can, so left some milk in the can each time to deaden the sound. However, the owners of the cows were safe in bed and asleep. We wondered if they would think the cows were bewitched when they found they would give nothing next morning. End of section 19